1: Hi, I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories, stories that will cover a broad spectrum of lived experiences, from time and service to the return home and beyond. Experience is shared with the hope that all listeners will better understand the sometimes complicated lives of veterans and their families. Thank you for listening to We Happy Few. In this episode, Jason Comstock talks with decorated Vietnam veteran Stan Taylor about his service as an infantryman in the U.S. Army. From losing his best friend to dealing with the complexities of serving in an unpopular war, Stan tells Jason how his service changed everything, including how he views his responsibilities as a citizen.
2: My name is Stan Taylor. Uh, I'm 71. (laughs) I was born in Salt Lake, raised in Magna, and lived most of my adult life in Hunter, so I'm from this area. Um, when I was 21, President Nixon wrote me a letter said he wanted me to play in his army. <laughs> so I was drafted. Uh, I was drafted out of college. And uh, so when I ended up going into the army, I figured there's not really any chance I'd be in the infantry. I've got oh, two and a half years of college experience and surely I'm good for something. Uh, one of the questionnaires that you fill out in basic is what did you do growing up? What was your activities? What did you like? I mentioned uh, my family camped every summer and uh, I was a boy scout so I ended up in the
1: infantry. <laughs> so what? So what were you? What were you thinking when you got that draft card? What was going on at the time? Was it?
2: Uh, well, what happened was I uh, got home from a two-year mission in Scotland, and I worked it out so I could get right into college. Um, uh, when I got back, and then one semester later, I wanted to get married, and I couldn't afford. As the money to go to school and the money to rent an apartment and get married. So I dropped out for a semester. And before the next semester started, I was in Fort Lewis. So uh, I didn't know they kept that good a track of you, but they certainly did, especially, I guess, that time when they were running out of people to draft and so on. So...
1: what year were you drafted?
2: 1969. Um, I was uh, 21, and uh, uh, I figured, okay, I'll do something besides the infantry. But that's what they put me in. Um, And so I went through basic and AIT. After I got out of AIT, they um, uh, brought about 10 or 15 guys in, into uh, the office and said, uh, you guys tested highest on all of the, the things that you did to train and so we want to offer you the opportunity to become an NCO before you go to NOM because everybody's going to NOM, of <laughs> course. And I figured, well, go in as a 2 or an E5. That seems like a, an easy guess. Uh so, I went in what uh, n c o school and and those guys were called Shake and Bakes over in NOM. Um, they were uh we were pretty green we were really green uh as far as any kind of combat or um, experience that way so, but they we were supposed to go in and and hit a, um, at least a squad, sometimes even a platoon um depending on the attrition rate. <laughs> and it was pretty pretty big right back then because and that's why they offered this NCO school they needed people to lead because uh, they were running out of them and so uh i went in i I got over there and i was really green uh, they gave me one uh, uh shot in the field uh to learn the ropes before they actually gave me my squad. And uh, everybody was looking at me like, okay, what's this guy going to be like? Um, and there's one kid there that um, uh, he seemed like he knew everything. Uh, and he he could answer anybody's questions. He always volunteered for everything that had to be done. And he kind of took me under his wing. Uh, Whenever he saw me doing something stupid, he would just look at me and shake his finger and and his head, you know, like, no, you know, don't do it that way. Think of something else, you know? And so he sort of got me straight on what I was supposed to do over there. We became super friends. Uh, and we did everything together. He was the point man for the squad, and he uh, had been there over half his his, uh, year, and um, he was starting to get a little leery. And he says, uh, Sergeant T, uh, I'm not sure I can walk point very much longer. It's starting to get to me a bit. And So I said, well, okay, how about if I walk back up so that I'm right next to you, would that help? So then we became even closer. And uh, we went through the rest of uh, my time in the field that way, Um, and uh, uh, I don't know what else you can say other than uh, of all the people that you wanted to protect, Mm We were we were that uh, that close.
1: Um, what was his name?
2: His name was uh, Melvin Bo- Melvin uh,
0: Barnett Barnett. I was yeah. thinking
2: Biden because that's, yeah. <laughs> that's neat as that's ain't Mel Barnett. Uh, um, and uh, he was from a little town in Oregon, and. Uh, when I first saw him in the unit, I thought, "Gracious, you know, there's there's a different guy." Because he would bind his legs and with uh, uh, shoelaces, and he had a great big knife on his show, his pocket, uh, his belt, and I thought, "Wow!" But you come to find out, everything he did had a purpose, and uh, you could see after a while that. Everybody looked up to him, and everybody knew they could count on him. So uh the unit broke up. I came home, and uh Mel had six weeks left to go, so he went into another unit. Um, when I said goodbye to him and got on the chopper, I said, Mel, get in the back. Don't do this anymore. Get in the back. Just wait out your six weeks and go home. Well, he went to his uh, next unit, volunteered to be point. He, somewhere within another couple of weeks, he hit a booby trap. Uh, they had to take his leg off. The The blood clots uh, went to his lungs and he died. And... Uh, I had no idea any of that was happening until a couple of months after I got home. I wrote him a letter and says, Mel, what's going on? How come I haven't heard from you yet? And his mother wrote me a letter saying that he had been killed, and that really shook me up. And I've never really recovered from that, Uh, the loss the uh, you uh, uh, could never think of a reason why that happened uh, to anybody, mm-hmm. let alone your best friend so uh,
1: so what did you do with that information once you found out from his mom um,
2: well the the thing about Vietnam compared to what's happening nowadays is um you got drafted and you went to the. Uh, either got out of it somehow, you know, bone spurs or some damn thing like that, or <laughs> yes. uh, something. You either got out of it or you went in. Um, and uh, then when you got back, you, you didn't want to tell anybody where you'd been because you, the war was such an. Un, uh, nobody wanted us to be there we didn't want to be there and uh so about a half hour after i got home from um uh california where i checked out de roast um i put my uniform and everything in a suitcase put it under the steps and there it sat and (laughs) it didn't come back out so um when I heard about Mel, uh, my first wife, when I was gone, she was one of the, the the people that did all of the marches against the war. I couldn't talk to her. Uh, she didn't want to talk about it. Uh, she didn't like uh, the way that she felt the war had hardened me from where I was. Um, So, uh, Life just had to go on, and I've I've never really processed that. Um, Probably clear till today, I've never really processed um, my feelings about that because there was nobody uh, to talk about it to and um, uh, really wouldn't know what to say anyway. You know, all of the things that are going now for veterans... None of that was happening. And uh, uh, I even today, when we go to the RWB meetings and all of that, listen to to the the veterans talk about what they've done. The fact that they're all there because they volunteered. You know, I wouldn't have volunteered. (laughs) That was, you know, that wasn't in my mind when I... Uh, I got that letter. Uh, I wouldn't have done that. Um, uh, I still don't feel like a veteran like that. I feel like I was in Vietnam. I had to go. I did it. And uh, and it, it's over now. And uh, even my, my son, who is a veteran, uh, uh, he would ask me, well, why don't you? Um, sign up for vet- veterans' benefits. Why don't you do any of those kind of things? And I would answer s- something like, uh, no, I'm going to leave all of those vet those veterans' benefits to the guys that really need it. You know, I'm not really, uh, I don't need it. Neither and I get along fine. Uh, and there are veterans who went through a lot more than I did, that need it more than I do. And he said, that's crazy. You know, you're in Vietnam for one year. You've got two bronze stars, a purple heart, uh, air metal, CIB. You've got all of those things. Why don't you think you're a soldier? And <laughs> I had no answer for that. Um. So since uh, I started up the RWB and all of that, I've been sort of uh, facing it a little more than I used to. And um, even though I still uh, don't really feel like uh, uh, a real veteran, (laughs) or whatever, uh, I participate now. And uh, I'm really glad to do that because the people that I, I associate with in the veterans groups are really
1: solid. of the earth. Well, and I will tell you as a veteran myself, how grateful I am for for you and for your, whether it was because you got a letter or because you wanted to, you still you still took that Opportunity, whatever, you know, yeah. as we call them, those opportunities to excel. I think that's what they call them in the army. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: <laughs> well, so. my, uh, my mother had, uh, five brothers. They all went to war. Uh, her sister's husband was in the army. I had five uncles who were veterans and, uh, I, I just couldn't see any anyway were honoring that heritage. I could do anything but go when I was called. Uh, couldn't, I, it, I couldn't even imagine it. So I, uh, that was never a question in my mind. My mu- real question and, and one that I had from the day I uh, went to uh, boot camp uh, till the day Uh, 13 months later, when I was in my first firefight, was, um, can I really pull the trigger on another human being? It's just not me. How can I do that? And that was a question in my mind for 13 months. Um, But guess what? (laughs) Uh, It didn't take more than five seconds. In the first firefight... To know that, yes, you can, it becomes uh, a matter of instinct and, and you do what you're trained to do Mm -hmm. and, uh, then you shake and worry about it
1: later. (laughs) I think this is a great time to take a break and hear from the businesses that are making this podcast possible. If you support us and what we are doing, please support them. Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches.
2: Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but
0: seek to understand different views.
1: That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts. So can you talk about what was the impact of serving in, the military serving in Vietnam for you? What did you notice?
2: Well, I lived a very sheltered life growing up in a small town. Um, uh, Being in a close community, everybody was the same religion and all of that. I I had kind of an eggshell existence. Uh, And the whole army thing, Sort of broke that eggshell and let me know that my, my gosh, there are other points of view <laughs> there are other people in the world who think completely different from you, and they are in their mind completely right and I hadn't really uh, encountered a lot of that uh, so when I went to nam i was I was uh, pretty naive. Um, I, I met half of my group, every unit I was ever in, at least half of them were black or, or of color some way or another. And what I found out was, my gosh, there's no difference between them and me, just the culture that they were raised in. But we're all thinking and doing and acting the same way, which was an eye opener, um, and, uh, uh, the Vietnam papers, uh, came out in 71, just after I was home from Nam. And, uh, all of the things that we know about the Vietnam war, you know, from history, looking back at it, uh, I didn't really, uh, assimilate any of that, I guess, uh, uh, and I really, um, coming home and and finding out all about all of these other points of view that other people had. Uh, when I first came home, I thought, well, these guys just don't know what patriotism is. Why are they bucking America? That's what I thought and And of course, now what we're thinking is how could the administrations that that took us into those wars into that war uh have been so um, wrong <laughs> uh and after um, it was all over and it was all done uh of course, you say to yourself uh why did, why did I waste two years of my life doing that? And how can I trust America anymore? And unfortunately, some of that is still in my mind. Uh, don't ever just accept what they're telling you. Uh, find out for yourself. And uh, When my son decided, came and told me he was going to join the Army, I gave him a hard time. <laughs> because uh of the experience i had with it uh you're putting your life into people's hands that you don't know what they're thinking why they're making you do what you do you just have to do it and uh after i got home from Nam, i i wasn't that kind of person anymore i bucked the system uh every chance i get um uh, and question. I don't buck the systems as much as question what's going on. Uh, my wife gets a little upset with me because I uh, watch so many news shows to try to keep informed, and and don't understand why other people don't do the same. When I talk to people and they I, and ask them questions about what's happening now, um. The, um and they don't have an answer, I kind of get upset. Why? Why don't you have an opinion? Well, I, you know, just too busy. Uh, and and it, that really upsets me that they don't uh, look at it the same way that I do, that you have to know what's going on. My two brothers didn't have to go to war, and they're a lot more uh, nonchalant about the whole thing than I am uh, to say the least. And uh, I, I start to feel like uh, I'm kind of a nuisance because I start talking and watch the eyes of the people that I'm talking to glaze over like, is he ever going to shut up? <laughs> uh, so- come on, we've heard this before. You're saying it all over. Well, the repetition is the mother of learning i was a school teacher so uh that's the way i taught my kids through repetition and uh these people that don't get it they need to get it and uh so i repeat myself too much
1: <laughs> do you think you'd have that same i don't want to say rebellious streak but that same desire to make sure you're informed mm-hmm. if you hadn't served in vietnam
2: probably not um uh no, no no I know I wouldn't uh, it's sort of um but my way of um, making what I did mean matter because uh uh I don't fight in I'm not in the service anymore but I am a citizen and the main Uh, thing that every citizen should have is uh, they have a right to vote, they should vote, and they should know why they're voting the way they do. Uh, I feel like that's one of the main things I'm here to do now is uh, uh, make my vote count. So, uh, no, I don't think I would have been as strong about it if I hadn't been to Vietnam I lost a lot of things from, from the, the experience. As far as when I was 18, I had the world lit. I knew everything. I knew where I was going. Uh, I knew everyone was behind me. And I was pretty cocky about it. By the time I was 23, I knew I knew nothing. And uh, the more I knew, the more I knew I didn't know anything, and uh, uh, so I lost that uh, that eggshell that was around me that made me think I was perfect, uh, the way I was going, uh, and I've sort of struggled ever since uh, to gain a way to kind of fulfill my destiny. <laughs> I was talking to a, uh, a veteran uh, up at the VA hospital just a few months ago. He had been a in the army, uh special forces unit in Afghanistan, and uh, uh, he had some similar experiences with losing his buddies. He didn't know what he was going to do with his life because he was here and they weren't. And I said, well, you can dedicate yourself to having a life that's good for you and makes up for some of the life that your buddies lost. And you can dedicate a lot of your life to that. Um, I'm not sure that I understood that when I was 23. But I understand it now, and I think back to what I did with my life, uh, becoming a a school teacher, helping people that way, and uh, uh, trying to be as honest and and giving as I can, I think all of that came out of that Mm -hmm. experience.
1: Thank you. I'm going to put Anita on the spot for a second. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you to just a little bit closer there. Okay. So my question for you is, is and I realize you weren't married to Stan when, while he was serving in Vietnam, but did you notice anything or anything that you would attribute to his service that maybe stood out to you?
0: When I married Stan, uh, I had no idea he'd even been in the army. <laughs> we got married. I found this suitcase that had uniforms and pictures and dog tags, and I'm... What's this? He goes, oh, that's my stuff from Vietnam. It's like, what? And it, we'd probably been together a year and a half. And I, he never, ever even mentioned it. Never. And for years, until Mark went in the Army, he just did not ever talk about it. Just never. I knew he had changed a lot. Some ways I was glad because he met me. <laughs> <laughs> I was out there protesting the war. I mean... My friends were dying for nothing, and uh, but Stan just kept it all in. and kept it to himself, and until just the last few years, he just really has not talked about it. So, I don't know that it changed him, because that's the way I knew him, was the Stan who had been to Vietnam. That's how he came home. Yeah.
1: Well, Stan, why do you think so many Vietnam veterans especially don't talk about it?
0: But from
2: what I said, uh, it wasn't a uh, uh, popular warmer. Uh, I remember times like when I was in uh, basic training, uh, the top soldiers in the company got to go see uh, Bob Hope at uh, Washington State, you know, his Christmas thing. Um, And when we were on the bus going there, the uh, drill sergeant said, okay, now these guys are going to yell at you. They're, they're going to call you names. They're going to spit on you. You're going to walk straight to the s- stadium, sit down and not say a word. And I'm thinking to myself, that can't happen. That won't happen. Uh, I was them three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I was them. I wouldn't have done that. Uh so, um, yeah, and they did. They did all of that that the, the drill sergeant said they were going to do, and I was dumbfounded. So um, you just didn't mention the war to anybody, either while you are doing it or when you got back. You just put your stuff in that suitcase, and that was that. Um, uh, y- you can go into the... Uh, killing and and all of that but that's in every war Mm -hmm. and uh, nobody really learns anything from that did you want to know how that
1: guy looked after he died so you don't talk
2: about that no i don't think anybody in any war talks about that Mm -hmm. uh so, yeah, the the thing was, it was unpopular. Uh, you didn't mention it because um, even if uh, you knew who somebody who was a veteran, uh, you didn't talk about the war to each other. You just didn't do it. Uh-uh. You just went on, you know, and you didn't go to RWB or or what's the other one we're running with just. Rubicon, Rubicon. You don't, um, we didn't have any of that kind of stuff. So, uh, it was just buried. Yeah. Just buried. So,
1: well, I want you to know as a veteran and, and, um, personally, just thank you so much for here, for being here, but also for your service and your willingness, um, drafted or not, like I said, you know, you still Yeah. answered the call.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I picked up the medals, so I guess I did my job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for doing your job. Uh, You're welcome. If you or any veteran you know is feeling self-destructive or suicidal, Please don't hesitate to use the Veterans Crisis Line by either calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1 or by texting 838-255 or by visiting www.veteranscrisisline.net. This 24-7 confidential service is for all veterans, all service members, the National Guard and Reserve, their family members, and their friends. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps grow our audience. We would like to thank our producer and editor, Josh Chilton, and our creative director, Amy Donaldson, for adding the spit and polish to our show. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.